If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Bats are often overlooked in the garden. Being nocturnal, we don't see them much. But did you know there are 18 species of bats in the UK? of which one, sadly, there is only one individual left. British bats eat a range of garden pests, such as mosquitoes and midges. One pipistrel bat can eat 3,000 mosquitoes a night. Bats benefit from all the good things in the garden, the pond, the wildflower meadow, the ivy growing up the house. I love going to bed at night knowing there are mammals flying around my garden, and I hope you do too. Hello, I'm Kate Bradbury, and today I'm talking to Dr Amy Schwartz, ecologist, skull collector and bat carer. I've been following Amy on Twitter for a few years now and I've always wanted to chat to her because she's so interesting. But also because I'm a bit jealous about the bats. As a bat rescuer and carer, Amy gets to share her home with bats for a few weeks at a time while she helps them recover from whatever caused them to be collected by her in the first place. And whenever she does this, Twitter gets very excited She has thousands of followers who can't wait for the next bat to arrive because she posts videos of them eating mealworms flying around her living room. She's even got a permanent resident. She's a veritable bat hero. So my first question had to be, have you got any bats in your care at the moment? So I've got two bats in my care that I'm looking to re-release soon. So I've got a uh, soprano pipistrelle uh, juvenile Um, which was uh, found as a baby having wandered into someone's uh, bathroom sort of through, (laughs) yeah, it comes through, um, through their sort of airing cupboard. Um, Yeah, we tried to, we tried to reunite it uh, back with its mum. We sort of spent a couple of evenings, stood outside, uh, 
you know, you sort of make a contraption where you, you hang a sort of hot water bottle and a and a sheet on on the, on a ladder that you can sort oh, of wow. extend. Yeah, yeah. And, you can and what sort does of, that do? Well, you sort of put the baby on there. The hot water bottle just keeps them warm. Um, and then as the um, bats are coming out of the roost, um, the baby should be warm and cooling. Um, and what theoretically then happens is that the mum hears that and comes down and uh, and collects collects her baby, which uh, which does work sometimes. Unfortunately, it didn't. So I've oh. had to hand raise this one. Yeah. So you're the bat's mummy. You're her new mummy. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, it's uh, a lot of sleepless nights in the first couple of weeks. You have to wake up through the night and give them. Uh, you feed them with a special puppy milk formula. To uh, and yeah, how, just... how how often do you have to feed? Do you, I mean, how can you tell if it's a female or male? How... Yeah, it's a, it's a male. Yeah, um, yeah. And to begin with, I had to feed him every sort of three or four hours. Um, so that means you sort of had to come with me, come with me into the office. Couldn't go anywhere, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So so he, but he's doing really well now, and he's sort of um, he's flying now. So he's uh, flying around your house. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's got he's got a big sort of pop up tent at the moment that, that's in the spare room. Um, that he flies around, yeah. Um, but so the next stage for him then is to get him into a, an outdoor flight cage where he can learn to catch insects by himself, but he would still be within a sort of safe environment. And is that something that, that his mother would normally teach him, how to catch yes, insects? Yes, yeah. So they normally sort of will fly around together. Um, she'll show him what to do. They play like little games of tag where one, yeah, the the sort of juvenile will, will chase their mum and then the mum will chase the juvenile um, just to sort of practice flight skills and things like that. But I guess they must enjoy it as well. Yeah, wow. And so you can't do any of that, so you've just got to sort of put them in the, put them in the enclosed cage outside and just hope for the best, really. Yeah, basically it's, it's sort of um, the mesh is big enough for small insects to get inside but not, not too um, big that, that the bat can escape. And so the the theory is then that they've got a sort of safe, you know, bowl of mealworms to return to if they haven't done well at, at catching insects. But it gives them a chance to to practice that then before you can sort of soft release them by just sort of opening the door and they can then leave when they're when they're ready to. And have you got one of these in in your home? No, I don't at the moment. I um I would love to. Um yeah, it, it's something that I'd I'd like to do eventually. But no, no, there's a, a few people I know who've got them, though. Um, so I'm just going to have to ask really nicely if they, <laughs> if they would mind. Use, uh, yeah. use your bat cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Oh, and do you name them? I name some of them. So, yeah, I, I, these have just sort of got nicknames that have been picked up. So there's, there's this one who I just refer to as the baby, and that's kind of his name now. It's become capitalised as the baby. Um, <laughs> and then uh, there's another one that I've got at the moment who was um, found caught on a fly trap, like a, stick, a sticky fly trap that someone had set outside. Um, and he's he's doing okay. He's um, he's got a little bit of damage to his um, to his elbow, maybe when he was trying to wriggle free. But hope, I'm hoping it should recover and he should be okay. And he's just called Sticky Boy. Oh, um, sticky he's, boy. Yeah, he's not sticky anymore, but um, oh. it's like 
you know, it's like the artist formerly known as Prince, the bat, <laughs> the, the, the bat formerly known as Sticky. Oh, and so, 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 so what? So someone, someone left a sticky trap, so that's to catch insects. Yes. And they, and normally you're advised to hang these in greenhouses, although I, I, I don't, and, and I yes, see yeah. for various reasons that they're really bad. So someone, someone hung a sticky trap outside. Yes. Yeah, so as far as I'm aware, it was just outside the front door. Because um, as you say, you know, you see people have these little ones that they might put up in their kitchen or or something like that or, or you know, in an enclosed area. But unfortunately, some people do still buy them and hang them just outside. Um, I, I mean, to me, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I've had, I think, three bats this year that have come in caught on um, caught on sticky traps. I suppose because sticky traps attract insects and bats are attracted to insects, so bats are going to by default be attracted to the sticky traps yeah i mean maybe there's some some bats will glean off of surfaces so maybe some bats like um like a brown long-eared might think that it's just a moth mm-hmm. on a surface mm-hmm. um i've had a brown long-eared bat glean off my face before oh really well <laughs> that's quite impressive yeah they're good uh yeah they're very impressive at picking out um picking out moths and things with those uh, massive ears but yeah, it was just um, quite outside, and the person had, um, you know, found it in the morning, uh, stuck to this trap. Oh gosh! Wow. Okay. Um, more reasons not to use sticky traps, then. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, is sticky traps is is that a common thing? Or what's the most common reason bats end up in your care? Um, mostly where I am, it's cats. It's cat attacks. Um, it's people's cats bringing them into the house, or it's someone finding one on their patio. Um, that you know the injuries are, are very consistent with with having been caught by a cat. Do they recover well from 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 cat attacks? Is it what what what's what's yeah. the what's the prognosis? Yeah, it's tricky with with cat attacks. My heart always sinks a bit when I when I get a phone call and. Um, Someone says, "Oh, my cat has brought in this bat because I think, you know, goodness knows what sort of state it's going to be in." Unfortunately, but um, sometimes they're okay. Um, I mean, all bats. I take all bats that have been caught by cats to the vets to get them antibiotics um, because cats' mouths harbour quite a lot of harmful bacteria. So even if the actual wounds on a bat are quite superficial. Um, so, you know, small puncture holes in the wings, for example, or, or a bit of a scratch down the back, um, they can end up getting really bad infections and, and actually dying from the infection rather than the injury. So it's really important, actually, if a, if your cat does bring in, you know, a, a bat or, or a bird or anything like that, um, and there's a, there's a visible injury to it, um, it is important that that animal is taken to um, some sort of wildlife rehabilitator because by release just instantly releasing it it's potentially just releasing it to um to unfortunately succumb to an infection further on down the line so what sort of injuries do the bats have then when they've been attacked by cats what, what does a what does an injured bat that's had a cat attack look like uh, usually holes in the wings are quite a giveaway um the holes can be you know quite small just very small punctures or, or you can actually have really quite bad tears in the wings but um that in itself is not not necessarily the end of the world. The, the tears, obviously, it's it's very distressing and painful for the bat, and they can't fly when they're like that. But actually, bats can heal really, really remarkably well from those sorts of injuries. So the holes can can heal up. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it can be completely torn sort of between two two of the finger bones in the wing and um, and it can just totally heal. Yeah, the, the, the sort of real issue is when it comes to, you know, bone breakages and things like that, unfortunately. So so cats can break bats' bones? Yes, yeah. If they sort of are grabbing them by the wing, for example, you can end up with shoulder shoulder breaks or, or breaks to the large bones in the in the wing, which unfortunately, unless you've got a, a sort of bigger bat species and a very, very good vet, the prognosis is usually putting them to sleep. What can cat owners do to prevent these attacks on, on our bats? Uh, I mean, the most obvious answer and the one that would certainly uh, be best for wildlife in general would be to keep them indoors if possible. Um, but, you know, I do understand that there are people who've had cats living outside all their lives and would be very distressed if they were to suddenly have to stay indoors all the time. So what we sort of recommend is if cats can, you know, not be let out overnight and also... Um, not be out in the sort of first few hours of the morning or just as it's getting dark because, um, you know, just as it's getting dark and the first few hours of the morning is obviously when bats are going to and from their roosts, but also birds will often spend a lot of time on the ground feeding first thing in the morning. Um, and so by uh, avoiding having a cat outside in that time, it's just less chance that that your cat is going to... Um, come into contact with a with a bird for example that's feeding on the ground hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. I mean, what about collars with bells on? Do, Do they work? Does, does that work with the bats? Yeah, I don't think it would work with the bats. I don't think bats generally are not, um, in my experience, not too afraid of large mammals. I don't think they really expect to be caught by them, if that makes sense. Um, you know, in the same way that you said earlier, bats will often feed around people. I mean, contrary to popular belief, they've got no interest in your hair or getting tangled <laughs> in your hair or anything like that. Um, I've had many, many bats flying around me and I've got very long hair and I've never had that happen to me. Um, generally, they won't, they sort of won't avoid avoid people as, as much. They won't avoid cats very much. Um, so, Bells, bells on cats are useful for things like birds. Um, and I have seen sort of quite comical big clown 
scrunchies that go around cats that, that sort of make them very visible to birds. But um, as far as I'm aware, there's no uh, no methods like that that work to to prevent them from catching uh, catching bats. And people people ask as well, sort of how do they manage to catch them? Well, they will skim down quite low to to catch insects sometimes. But cats will also just find a roost. Um, you know, there's lots of stories of of cats, you know, climbing onto a garage roof and just waiting for bats to come out. I've seen crows doing that, actually. I've seen crows <laughs> waiting above a roost, but that's uh, considerably more natural. So keeping cats in dusk at dawn and then ideally through the night as well can, can help save these, these gorgeous bats from these horrific injuries. I mean, do you have any permanent residents, Amy? I, I met a bat carer once who is, she's got 75 bats in her care that she's sort of rehabilitated to a point where they're sort of alive and they can feed, and but they can't be released into the wild and she's she's just got 75 pets, really. <laughs> is this something that you've got going on as well? I do have uh, I do have one permanent resident, yes. I suppose those who follow me on Twitter would be familiar with Griff, the bat. Yes. Um, he has his own hashtag, hashtag Griff the Bat, if people are interested in looking at <laughs> looking at cute photos of him. I, I mean, I think they're cute anyway. But um, yeah, he's a common noctule, which is our uh, our largest species of bat. Um, and he, he was a cat attack bat as well, actually. Um, so, so I've had him for about a year. He When he came to me, he had um, some small holes in his wings and his wrist was quite swollen. So... Yeah, just in case people don't know, the sort of bat's um, wings are pretty much their arms and hands. Um, and it looks like a human hand, doesn't it? it? It does, actually, yeah. If you look at sort of um, drawings of sort of how it compares, it is actually just just an arm and a giant hand covered in, covered in a, a sort of flap of skin. Um, but he had had then an injury to his wrist, and obviously it's quite a complex joint, um, and so to begin with, I wasn't sure, you know, it was a bit swollen, but I thought maybe it's not broken, you know. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, down the line, the swelling went down, but he sort of still didn't get much movement in that wing. I took him to the vets and got him x-rayed, um, a very good vet over in Swansea, uh, x-rayed him for me. And um, you could see then that the he had broken a small bone in his wrist that had then healed but had kind of ossified, so had thickened. Um, so that means then that he just wasn't getting that range of movement that he needed in his wing. So he wasn't in pain as such, but he also couldn't fly again. So he, um, yes, he lives in uh, in the spare room in my house now <laughs> and he uh, he lives the life of Riley. Um Aww. Yeah, he's um, he's but he's very good. He's um, I think he's an excellent sort of ambassador for people to meet um, because you just don't see bats up close, and people who see them, you know, you just see them flying around. But I think to actually get a sort of close up look at a bat, um, I mean, that's how I first got interested in bats was was from I worked at a vet's briefly, and we had a pipistrelle that was brought in, and I'd just never seen never seen one in the hand before. And I think it can really sort of spark off that interest for people to see them that close. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. And, and noctuals are, are so beautiful as well. There's, and I love, because I used to go, um, 
I used to go and do and do bat surveys um, for Bat Conservation Trust in in London, London Bat Conservation Group, and um, and not they've just got this big clopping. So so for, for listeners who who've never done this before, if you get a bat detector, so bats um, communicate by echolocation, they hear by echolocation, and 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 so we can't hear them. I think children up to the age of about eleven can hear them, but anyone older than eleven can't. So you need a bat detector to decipher the calls of the bats or to make their calls audible. And uh, and every species of bat, there's 17, 18 species of bat in the UK. Yeah, and, 17 um, breeding, yeah. 17 breeding. And, <laughs> um, and, uh, and they've all got different, they've all got different noises. And, and the, the nocturnal, it's like a really big clop, isn't it? It's like a horseshoe. Yes, yeah. It's a sort of chip, chip chop, it's described as. It's a, a sort of two-tone call. And they fly sort of very high in the sky. If you're looking out, you know, in an evening. And they fly very early as well. So you will see them around dusk. Um, so these guys live in tree roosts predominantly. So they'll use things like old woodpecker holes. Um, if you've got standing deadwood trees, which are super important for bats, um, they'll use sort of old cracks in boughs and things like that. Um, and they'll come out early and they'll be hunting moths and beetles. They they feed high up over the top of the tree line and they fly in a really sort of straight and direct way. So if you see a big bat around dusk that's sort of flying in a in a straight line high in the sky, then there's a good chance that you're looking at a nocturne. Whereas pipistrels, they've, they've got a really erratic flight, haven't they? It's quite jerky. Yes, they do. Yeah, they're very fast flyers and they're, they're sort of very nimble and agile. Nocturnes are, are not nimble or agile. <laughs> there are a lot of things, but you couldn't describe them as that. Um, no, they've got sort of big wide wings that are made for, for flying sort of good distances at, um, at good speed, but um, but not in the sort of way that pipistrels can sort of feed around and change direction really quickly because they're catching these very small, very fast insects, as opposed to nocturnes, which are catching sort of big lumbering beetles and moths. Mm. So what does Griff do then during the, I mean, you know, presumably he sleeps during the day and then just crawls around your spare room at night? I mean, can he fly at all? <laughs> um, no, he can't fly at all. And he's he's never attempted to fly, actually, since he's been with me. So, again, that kind of makes him really, really good for educational purposes because he's not going to um, frighten anyone accidentally by suddenly flapping his wings or something. Um, but, yeah, he, uh, he has a sort of big mesh cage. It's actually a sort of dog carrier for, for the car um, that he lives in. And... Um, his favourite place to sleep is a sort of hollowed-out coconut, which sort of, I suppose, is is a bit like his natural tree roost in that in its sort of wooden and uh, with with a sort of woodpecker hole-sized hole in the front. So hopefully he feels nice and at home there. And then he comes out and he um he he tells you if you're uh, if you're late feeding him, he'll sit in his bowl and chirp at you. So um, I'd like to talk about insect declines next. We know bats eat insects and we know insects are declining at a pretty terrifying rate. Some studies have suggested a 75% decline in, in, in some parts of the world um, in recent years. Um, the same bat carer that I met uh, a few months ago who told me that she's got 75 bats in her care has also told me that she'd not seen a fat bat in two years. Um, does this ring true with you? What, what sort of state are the bats coming in? And, and do you think insect declines are affecting the bats? Yeah, absolutely. I think they definitely are. I don't tend to get bats in that are that are fat at all um, or that are often at any sort of decent weight. It's not unusual for me to get pipistrels in that are weighing 
three and a bit grams where they should be five grams plus. Um, and I mean, that's a considerable uh, increase in, in body mass that they should be at uh, compared to what they are. Um, it's not unusual at all to get bats in that are just grounded and starving, basically. Um, yeah, and, you know, sometimes you will get uh, bats in that are affected by dehydration, particularly um, during the, the um, very hot period we had recently um, in sort of July and August. Um, I was getting a lot of bats in that were very thirsty, but even outside of those times where there's plenty of rainfall, people are finding bats on the floor just absolutely exhausted with, um, you know, starving basically that they just, that they're coming in and they're, they're extremely skinny and they've got no injuries, but there's, uh, there's, so there's nothing wrong with them basically, apart from the fact that they are simply not finding enough food. This is quite worrying, isn't it? Because obviously bats have got an extra layer of protection from from other wildlife um, in the UK so since the 80s. You're not allowed to disturb bat roosts. Um, you're not allowed to, you know, you have to get sort of certain permissions to do building work. And actually bat numbers have been increasing, haven't they, in recent years? Yeah, some, some bats are, are sort of doing fairly well. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's something that, could easily sort of um, reverse, and I think for some species as well, uh, in more trouble than others. Is this widely known in the science community in the bats? Is it is it something that I, don't, I haven't seen anything published on this yet? Is it is it co- currently? It seems to be anecdotal from the bat carers that they're saying the bats are really hungry. Um, it's going to take a few years, isn't it, for for the science to actually sort of prove this and then and then the publications to to tell us by which point we could be five another five years down the line yeah so it's it's tricky it's a it's a tricky thing to sort of prove really um and yeah as you say it is sort of anecdotal at the moment and i think every back care that carer that i've spoken to um would sort of say the same thing that it's you know it's concerning and that these bats are coming in like that obviously there could be an element of that a bat maybe is slightly unwell to begin with and that that's why it's not feeding very well. Um, but, I mean, I've not been doing bat care as long as as some other carers who've maybe seen more of a more of a shift over time. That brings us sort of quite smoothly on to, to what gardeners can do, really, because obviously, you know, most people listening to this podcast are keen gardeners. I've got all the things that bats like. I've got wildflower meadow, although it's very small. I've got ponds, which is actually quite big, uh, for my size garden i've got i've got native trees native shrubs um you know I, I i garden very i'm quite messy you know leave lots of leaf litter all of the things that the bats like all of the things that are good for insects that are then good for the bats i don't even tip out buckets with mosquito larvae in i am that good for bats um what's your favorite habitat for bats what, what's the number one thing you know we can do in terms of people's gardens, I think you know native uh, using native plants where possible is is great because you attract um, not only the sort of bigger pollinators such as you know b- butterflies for example um, that you know is is great but um, is not uh, not high up on the uh, food list for bats. Um, so planting native species just it just brings in that range of of insects that then will also then bring in a range of wildlife, including bats of different species, which have got different food preferences. Um, and you could plant um, sort of night-scented, uh, night-scented plants 
are really good for bats. Um, if you've got a sort of spare space in the border and you could put something in that gives off a really nice scent at night, perhaps, that um, will then bring in a lot more night-flying insects, which will help uh, help bats that want to feed in your garden. Right, so things like evening primrose, night-scented stock, honeysuckle, all of those things have got extra fragrance in the evening and bring in lots and lots of lots of moth species. Yeah, that would be anything like that 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 gives out a scent at night would be would be great. You know, obviously balanced in with sort of you know native species as well will give a real nice variety of uh, insects then that your bats can come and feed on. And and a pond, you've got two ponds, haven't you? I do have two ponds, yeah. I don't have a very big garden, but I still managed to squeeze two ponds in. So there's one out at the back, which is quite a small pond, um, that is basically one of the first things I put in when we bought the house. It, it was sort of priority number one was get a pond in. And that that's brilliant because, you know, it does provide lots of insects breed in there, um, which provides food opportunities, but also provides somewhere for bats to drink because they will come down and they will sort of scoop up little bits of water. Um, you know, some species in particular, like uh, Dorbenton's bats. With its hairy loved... feet. Yes, they've got these sort of big... <laughs> you you immediately know if you've got a Dorbenton's bat, because what you're essentially looking at it is as a sort of brown pom-pom with some enormous feet sticking out from behind them. And they use those feet to sort of scoop insects off the surface of the water. They're so, so cute, aren't they? They're adorable. So that species in particular will really, really benefit from from the provision of a pond in a, in a garden. So as I said, I've got two ponds. I've got a wildflower meadow, um, planted a native hedge earlier this year, which is just sort of starting to grow over the summer. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out and uh, already getting bats sort of feeding around in that area, um, which is really nice to see, really rewarding. And so as an ecologist and bat surveyor, like, I mean, do you do little mini surveys around your garden? Do you know which species are visiting? Oh, so I have done some, yeah. So it's mostly common in soprano pipistrels. I've had brown long-eareds over and um, noctuals. Um, noctuals don't come in to gardens particularly, but, um, you know, you can still be sort of providing food for them. These insects have got to go somewhere and they could just go straight up and into the mouth of a noctual and they'll be very appreciative of that. What would the world look like without bats, Amy? Well, I think it would be a very disappointing place to begin with. <laughs> um, you know, bats are very important you know, ecosystem members, as as is everything really. But in the UK, all our bat species eat insects. They're all insectivorous. Um, and they just help keep things in check. You know, everything has to sort of be in balance and, and bats are a part of that. Um, so in the UK, they provide a lot of sort of pest control, both for, for gardeners and sort of wider landscape uh, farming, for example. Um, across the world, they're important for, for a huge variety of things. You know, the fruit bats do a lot of seed spreading. Um, there's actually the uh, long-nosed bats um, are pollinators of the agave plant, um, without which it's quite a quite a often cited thing. But without bats, there would be no tequila. So if that was your sort of thing, then um, you've got bats to thank for that because they're one of the primary pollinators of that plant. So yeah, there's lots of things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think that bats are important for that uh, that they really are. With climate change, 
lots of species are already moving north. Climate change is proving an additional pressure to species that are already suffering sort of, you know, multiple whammies of land use change, pesticides, uh, urbanisation. What does the future hold for bats? I suppose that's a, that's a tricky question. Uh, bats are certainly affected by extreme weather events. So, for example, with the sort of very hot weather, um, if that coincides with the sort of maternity season where bats are, our bats in the UK form uh, maternity colonies in the summer. So it's where all the sort of pregnant females will, will come together in one roost and they'll all sort of have their babies together and raise them in one area which is totally adorable by the way. <laughs> it is it is very adorable it's it's a big sort of uh, big nursery of all sort of mothers and babies um all huddled together which is very cute but um they struggle in in these sort of when we get these extreme weather events when we get very hot weather the roosts can just get too hot for them um, and then they end up having to move because quite often these maternity colonies if things like pipistrelles will be in a house roof and if you've ever been up into your attic on a hot day, you can imagine just how hot it's getting up there for those bats and, and very uncomfortable. So they will roost switch, which they will do anyway, but sometimes it can be, if it's done in a sort of emergency fashion, you unfortunately can get babies left behind. So if they, they can be at a size where, because up until a certain point, the mothers can carry them around with them, they'll sort of they'll sort of hold on to her and she can fly around with them attached. So she can move them. And then if obviously if they're flying age, they can fly themselves to the new roost. But unfortunately, you do get this period where the bats are sort of, the juvenile bats are sort of too big for mum to carry, but not quite big enough to fly on their own. And that's when you often get bats sort of wandering into people's houses or found outside attached to someone's house because they've they've sort of gone wandering so that's that's one way in which um climate change could have a really sort of profound effect and a profound impact on uh, breeding of certain species especially ones that use um buildings for example and do you think after this summer i mean i suppose it's too early to say and again it will just be anecdotally really won't it from from, from bat carers but would you say that's probably what's happened this summer i think it's certainly been the worst that i've seen and, and, you know, from various sort of back care, you know, Facebook groups and, and just anecdotally talking to people, um, there has been a lot, lot of abandoned juvenile bats uh, this year. Um, it does happen every year, but it seems to be particularly bad this year, as I think that time period at where bats were at that sort of size did coincide with that weather so, um, okay, I'm asking this question to everyone in my wildlife series, Amy, and nobody wants to answer it because it's too hard. But I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, okay. What is your favourite bat and why? <laughs> yeah, uh, that is a tricky question. <laughs> um, but they're all very good in their own individual ways. <laughs> um, I, I, suppose, I suppose that the bat that really got me really into bats is the brown long-eared and they always I have such a fondness for them they're um whenever I see one out you know on a bat survey or or, or see one in the hand they're I mean it helps that they're completely adorable so for the listeners who don't know they actually have really enormous ears mm. and they're very beautiful because some bats you look at them and you think oh 
Brown long-eared bats are very pretty bats. They are. They're objectively beautiful, not just in the same way that I might find every bat beautiful, but they are. <laughs> yes, they're, they're, they're really gorgeous and they're, they've got an incredible sort of fluttering flight. They fly around like a giant moth. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time.